now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. We follow his examples. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you came and dwelt among us. You loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son to die on the cross for us, to be bruised and beaten for us, to fully understand what it meant to be rejected, scorned, despised. And then you endured the physical pain of the cross where you gave your body for us This morning, Lord, in this time of communion, we thank you for giving yourself for each of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, is not this the communion of the body of Christ? The bread is the communion of the body of Christ. Let's eat together. night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, gave it to his disciples, and we do likewise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have this cup before us, reminding us of the blood that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And we know where there's no shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And once for all, you went to the cross as the perfect, unblemished sacrifice, shedding your blood so we can be set free from sin. 
This morning we take this cup, Lord. Remembering the blood that you shed for us. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, is not this cup the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take this cup, remembering that he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink of it together and be thankful. Amen. We're going to look at a passage of scripture this morning, Mark chapter 9. Verses 2 through 9. It's interesting how we use words, and, and I know I could probably pick myself apart um, every week on the words that I choose and, and the way that they come out, and you don't think about them. I was listening to a, a guy this morning um, on the radio, and he, at the beginning of his message, he used the words, I wish you would all open up your Bibles with me and turn to whatever passage it was. And I stopped for a second and I thought, I don't want to wish that you open up your Bibles with me. I want you to open up your Bibles with me. Um, that's where we need to be, uh, to turn to God's Word and allow God's Word to speak with us. Now I'm picking on, I don't know who the preacher was, and, I'm, and I know I'm picking in, in just that choice of words. And that's why I said I can pick myself apart all day long. But with that, um, please, I ask that you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9 as I read verses 2 through 9 for us together. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain... Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word continues to instruct us and teach us. And every time we open your word, it comes alive in our hearts. And your word reveals to us where our inadequacies are. but also shows us where our potential is and continues to direct us to the hope that we have. So this morning I ask, Lord, that you continue to speak to us through your word. You guide us in your truth. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you ever stop and ask yourself the question and think, how intense and how busy our lives have become? Um, one of the ways to show this, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a statistic to understand how busy our lives have become. One of the ways to measure this would be the advertisements that you see on a daily basis. Now, I'm going to go back many, many years. I'm going to go all the way back to the 70s. Back in the 70s, the number of advertisements that you would see on an average day, on any given day back in the 1970s, you would see somewhere between 500 to 1,600 advertisements in any given day. May seem like a lot, may seem like a little. 500 to 1,600 ads per day. I want you to jump forward three decades, and I want to get into 2007. In 2007, it has been estimated that on any given day, you would see 5,000 advertisements in any given day. Half the people surveyed said, we're just being inundated with ads. It's just way too much. It's overkill. I want to jump, that was in 2007, I want to jump to 2021. It's now estimated that there are somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 advertisements every single day that hit each and every one of us. 10,000 advertisements a day. When I started to think about that, I just, it's just a realization that our lives have become chaotic with all kinds of things that are going on that we have to be completely bombarded with advertisements over and over and over and over and over. Start doing the math of how many advertisements you see every single minute of the day when you're seeing 10,000 advertisements a day. Busyness has become a badge that our society's wearing like a badge of honor. Schedules fill up, families run everywhere, moms run one way taking the kids to soccer and dads run the other way taking the kids to basketball we're just torn and we go and we go and we go and everything is just busy 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 and then all of a sudden something happened this panic over coronavirus happened and all of a sudden almost a year ago we came to a screeching halt everything all of a sudden stopped and it sits in and then everybody stares at the walls and they wonder what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? And so everybody just turns on all of their electronics and we just start binge watching TV, uh, using our phones more and using our tablets more. Uh, all the internet companies are saying how much the usage of the internet is way, way up. And we have found ways to fill in the void with more busyness, just different kinds of busyness. And it's where we go with our lives to just keep filling up this void. I want to tell you that churches, they've also become part of the problem. I'm not specifically saying our church, but churches in general have become part of the problem. Churches fill up our schedules like there's no end to it. Churches end up with clubs for everything. There's, they want to compete with the church down the street. They want to compete with the club down the street. And there's a club for everything. You have kids clubs and clubs and teen clubs and, and youth clubs and young adult clubs and you know, there's specialty groups for this and a recovery group for this and a marriage group for this and a single group for this. And, and if the church looks at the calendar and they say, oh, wait, there's nothing going on on Thursday at three o'clock, then they fill something in and they have to just keep planning and planning and planning and bringing more and more program in. And it contributes to this busyness that's going on in our lives. Churches, for some reason, we don't want to be still. 
So why is it that we don't want to be still? Why is it that we don't want to be still? There's a reality that being still makes me look in the mirror and think about myself. Being still takes us to a place where we have to come to a reality of who we are and who we're becoming. I want to jump into 1 Kings chapter 19. This is when Elijah was on the run and hiding in a cave. 1 Kings 19. Right? We're, we're after the great showdown on Mount Carmel and all the prophets of Baal have been killed and Elijah's off hiding in a cave all by himself. And here's how God comes to him. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God showed up to Elijah in a gentle whisper. God shows up in the stillness of the day. God shows up when we are still before him. The psalmist cries out in Psalm 46.10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In our busyness, in all of the events that are going on around us, in everything that's changing in our lives, can we actually stop and carve out some time where we can be still before the Lord? Where we can actually find ourselves being still and knowing that he is God. St. Augustine said, Our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. In all of our chaos in life, we need to find a way to be still. So what does this have to do with Mark chapter 9? You heard me read chapter 9 of Mark, and you said, what in the world, Ralph, are you talking about? And what does this have to do with Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9? In the middle of this chapter, in the middle of these verses that I read, I came across one verse that really struck out to me as I read this and was thinking about this passage. In all of this transfiguration event, in all of this excitement that's going on, in all of this being in the presence of God, what does Peter, James, and John want to do? What does Peter want to do? Verse 5, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I started thinking about what Peter was saying there, and I was thinking, what kind of crazy response is this? Peter, have you, lost your, have you lost your mind? What in the world are you thinking about, Peter, that you want to build three shelters? And it's this response of where Peter's saying, 
I don't know what to do, so let me just get busy doing something. I know how to build a shelter. I know how to do something. Let me just go and do something. If we turn into the book of Luke, we know that they, they, they actually, we get some additional description where in the book of Luke, we're told that they woke up from their slumber. And so they were somewhat sleepy and they, they were aroused out of their slumber, but they still say the same thing. Let us build these shelters for you. Let us do something. And I came back to asking myself the question, why would they want to get busy building shelters in the light of the situation they are finding themselves? The answer came back to me because quite often that's what we want to be. That's what we want to be. We want to be Peter. And I believe that God wants something different for us. I believe that God wants us to sit back and be still and know that he is God. Because we understand doing. I can do doing. I can get my hands dirty and do. Build something, make something. I think all of us can. But God doesn't always call us to be doing. There's a great call on each and every one of our lives that says, be still. Be still. So I'm going to look at Mark chapter 9 and I'm going to tear these verses apart and go through them and allow God to speak to us and to understand the situation that they were in, that they wanted to do something, so we can learn from this and understand where we can be and what it means to be the people that God wants us to be and to be still. And the first place I want to go is where we find ourselves in His presence. We find ourselves in His presence. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with Him, and they went up to the holy mountain where they were all alone, and then He was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I was half tempted to try and buy a white suit, as bright a white suit I could get. Find the, a couple of big halogen white lights and just shine it on myself to just try and blow this point away, to, to understand what they must have seen on that day where they were in the presence of God, presence of God himself, and just blown away by how wonderful that experience must have been. We have the transfiguration of Jesus right in front of them. The disciples are being blessed by the transfiguration of Jesus. They see Jesus in all of his heavenly glory right in front of them. They're sitting in the position of be still and know that I am God. And it's where the revelation of God sinks deep into our souls and God is changing us. We can find ourselves in this position. We run from this. I'll be honest. I run from this place. It's not the place that we always find ourselves being attracted to. Yet I know that God keeps calling me and he's calling you to be still before the Lord and to enjoy his presence and allow the glory of the Lord to shine into our lives into a mighty way that we can't even imagine today while we're sitting here. To be in the position that Peter, James, and John were in and to see God in all of his glory, in all of his splendor. When we reflect on the life of Moses, we, we read about in Corinthians and we read about in the Old Testament where Moses was transformed, where he was transfigured in the same way where the brightness of the Lord reflected off of Moses to the point he had to put a veil over his face because people were afraid to look at him. 
But when you go back and you look at the times when Moses was transfigured, what was Moses doing during those times? He was in the presence of God. It wasn't when he was out walking through the desert. It's when he was up on the mountain for 40 days, sitting, standing, being still in the presence of God. It's when he would go to his tent and they put a tent off by itself. And they knew when Moses went into that tent that Moses was in the presence of God. And he would go into that tent and when he would come back out, they'd have to put a veil on his face. Because God was changing him while he was still in the presence of God. When we reflect on it, we understand who God clearly is in those still moments when we're quiet before God. And it collides into a position in our lives where in His presence it becomes a transformation moment for each of us. In Luke chapter 10, we get a story of Mary and Martha, and it might be a familiar story. Mary and Martha are really, you know, at that point Jesus is coming over for dinner. And what, what happens in that story is Martha gets busy. She, she gets the food on. She starts shining up the dishes. She's wiping off the table, dusting off the seats. Or whatever, whatever's going on, she's fluffing the cushions and getting everything just perfect because Jesus is at her house and she wants dinner to just be wonderful. And Martha's just running around doing all of these things. And she gets a little bit perturbed, a little bit upset at Mary because Mary's just sitting on a rump over there listening to Jesus talk. Mary's doing nothing. And I'm the one getting everything done. We get two descriptions in Luke chapter 10 of these women. Here are the descriptions that we get, and they're very distinct. We're told, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha was distracted because of all of the preparations that had to be made. And for Mary, we're told, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You see the difference between Mary and Martha in that story? Martha was doing a lot of good stuff. But we're told in Luke chapter 10 that she was distracted. And we're told that Mary, who was doing nothing but being still before God, had chosen what was better. And it would not be taken from her. One of those two things are better. And I'm not saying that doing things is bad. But God clearly teaches us that being still before the Lord is better. It's in the presence of God that we're reaching out to Him. It's in the silence that we're allowing God to reach out and speak to us. And without the times and appointments with God coming into his presence, we're skipping through life like a rock skipping across a pond or across a stream or across a lake. And I've been there hundreds of times. You take the nice little rock and you flip it across the lake and skip, 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 kerplop. And without the presence of God in our lives, that's what we become. We're doing, 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 doing across the lake. But eventually there will come a point where you go kerplunk. And that rock is at the bottom of the lake. We need to be in the presence of God to lift us up and to fill us up. 
It's in the presence of God that we're strengthened. It's in the presence of God we're encouraged. It's in the presence of God we're reminded of his promises to never leave us or forsake us. It's in the presence of God where we find true joy. And instead of thinking about God as a magic genie that we pull out when we're in trouble, we start to think about God that we desire and we never want to leave his presence. And we find ourselves in a place where we never want to leave. Far away, the noise of strife upon my ear is falling. Then I know the sins of earth beset on every hand. Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling. None of these should move me from Beulah land. And the course of that song says, I'm living on the mountain underneath a cloudless sky. I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh yes, I'm feasting on the manna of a bountiful supply. For I am dwelling in Beulah land. Dwelling in the presence of God. It's into his presence that we need to find ourselves. And it's from there that we move on and we find ourselves receiving the preparation from God. And we receive his preparation to change our lives it's from those still moments we are hearing the voice of God speaking into our lives. Verse 7, God speaks from heaven and he says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I know those words were not said for Jesus. If we go back to Jesus' baptism, those words may have been said truly for Jesus. But we're here where, he, where God says, Listen to him. We're receiving his preparation during those quiet times and in those moments. We're being told to hear the voice of God. Unless you know a lot more than I know, I have no idea what I need tomorrow. Do you know what you need tomorrow? Because I don't know what tomorrow brings. I can look at the weather forecast, I can look at my calendar, I can look at the meetings that I have and all of the things that I have to do, but I do not know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what this afternoon brings. Life is a crazy dodgeball game. You ever show up here on a Friday night when the kids are here, it's like a crazy dodgeball game. The balls they use for dodgeball, shoot them that way, and they'll hit somebody over that way. Every single one of them's a curveball. And life is like that dodgeball game. Because you don't know when that ball is going to come and smack you up the side of the head. You just don't know. And this is what life serves us all the time. Today, today, life may be giving us good health. But tomorrow, we might be sick in bed. Today, the car is running well. And tomorrow, the whole back of it might be flattened by a tractor trailer on the highway. Today, our marriage may be wonderful. It's February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. I love you. And tomorrow your spouse may say, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. Today you're looking at your check account, checking account, and you say, I can afford to live. And tomorrow your expenses are greater than your income. But what I do know is when we spend time in the presence of God, He's preparing us for the storm and the joys of tomorrow. I know that today's preparation in the presence of God when we're still before Him is going to take us so we can face the mountains that are around the corner. 
when Peter, James, and John were up on that mountain spending time in the presence of God, I don't think they were thinking about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. I don't think they were thinking about that night when Jesus would get arrested. I don't think they were thinking about the evening they would be spending hiding in a house with the door locked because Jesus had died. I don't think they were thinking about the day that they would see Jesus ascend into heaven and they would think, what are we going to do now? And I, don't, I know they weren't thinking about the day when they would go through their own suffering and their own turmoil and their own persecution. And for John in his own exile, they weren't thinking about those things, but God was preparing in them to listen to Jesus and to be still before him and to learn from him because those days would come. And that's where God keeps speaking to us and he wants to prepare us for things that are happening tomorrow. And he wants to keep directing us and we find those things in the stillness of God. Into his presence we, we find ourselves and we receive his preparation and it moves forward to carrying his preeminence with us. 2 Timothy 2.21 Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instrument for special purposes, and this is who we are, made holy, useful to the Master, and prepared to do any good work. That's what God has prepared us for. What do you mean, Ralph? We're prepared to go do good work. That means we got to go do something. Yes, it does mean we have to go do something. But did you see what happened in the passage that we had this morning? First, they were up on the mountain in the presence of God. They were in a place of preparation where God was preparing them for good work. And then they got off of the mountain and they went and did good work. And I have this in here and I believe it's in the passage for us because they did not stay up on the mountain. And here's the other tendency that we can have. We can find ourselves so much enjoying the presence of God that we never walk out the door and be any earthly good to anybody else. And there's that old saying, you're so, he so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And there's a point where God says, thank you for being in my presence. And God has changed us into, a, into who he wants us to be. And then we come down off of the mountain. As they were coming down off the mountain, right where God wanted them to be. There's work to be do done knowing that God is with us and God will continue to be with us. With the presence of God, with the Holy Spirit, we take God with us off of the mountain. It, it's, what's the saying? Where the rubber meets the road. Where the rubber meets the road. It's great to have a car in the parking lot. It's a lot better to drive it down the road. And we need to make sure that we're taking the stillness of God where we enjoy his presence, where we, we enjoy his preparation and then take it with us to touch the world. It's wonderful where we can be in love with Jesus and so much, so much in love with Jesus that we want to be with him. But we need to take that love and take it to the rest of the world. It's wonderful how in the presence of God we can have joy and peace in our lives we got to come back off the mountain and give that joy and peace to the lives of someone else. It's so wonderful that God pours into our lives, enriches us, enriches us and guides us in his truth. But it's when we take that off of the mountain and become the hands and feet of God and take that truth to somebody else. I shared, shared earlier about the story of Elijah from 1 Kings. 
where he was hiding in a cave and you know, the storm came by, the earthquake came by, the fire was there. And, and Elijah was in the stillness, in the whisper that he heard God. There's something interesting, a couple of words in that passage that come after that in 1 Kings 19. And God tells Elijah these two simple words. Go back. Go back. And I looked at those two words and I said, yeah, they're very clear. When God came to Elijah at that cave, he didn't say, and Elijah, just live out the rest of your days hiding here in the cave, and I'll come visit you with a still whisper once in a while. God expects us to walk out the doors of a church. God expects us to get off of our knees in prayer. God expects us to get out of our quiet time and become a reality in the world around us to go back. God told Elijah to go back and take care of the things he needed to take care of. He needed to go back and, and appoint a successor, Elisha, to follow him. He needed to go back and, and say some things to the king. Those places to go and people to see and things to be said to get off of the mountain, get out of the cave that he was in and to go do the work of the Lord. We serve a God who said he'll never leave us or forsake us. And then he carries us out of that quiet time to go where we need to go. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? The first big question that we all need to face, that we all need to answer is, are we finding a quiet time with God? Are we finding a quiet time with God? Before we had communion this morning, I purposefully, purposefully sat there to be quiet. Oh, it drives us crazy. It drives us crazy. It drives kids crazy just sitting in this chapel. Why? Because we don't know what it means to just be still before the Lord. If I stopped talking for 30 seconds, you would start to wonder if I had a stroke, a heart attack, or I lost my mind, or what was wrong. And yet God says, be still and know that I am God. So the question comes back to you and it comes back to me. Will we find time to be still before the Lord? Will we take five minutes? Will we take one minute? You say, at 7 o'clock, my alarm's going to go off, and for the next 60 seconds until the alarm goes off at 7.01, I am not going to say anything. I am not going to do anything. I am not going to ask God for anything. I'm just going to be still before the Lord and allow Him to say something to me. And it's scary. It's scary. Because what's God going to say to you? And he will speak to you. And then when you hear him, we have to do something with it. So I ask the question and I give the challenge to find a quiet time with God. Not a quiet time where you're reading your Bible. Not a quiet time where you have the radio playing. Not a quiet time where beautiful worship music is playing. Not a quiet time where you're sending prayers to him and reading through your prayer list. I'm talking about a quiet time. When God says, and we shared in Sunday school this morning, uh, Paul shared about going into your closet to pray. Why, why does the Bible say go into your closet to pray? Well, you don't have to go into a closet, but you need to find a place where you can be quiet, to be still before the Lord.
to spend time in his presence, to listen to God, to allow God to prepare you for the day and the weeks and the years ahead. Because into his presence, we are called. Are you hearing the call of God to be still and know that he is God? It's in his presence that we're prepared for tomorrow. And when we're prepared for tomorrow, we take God with us, his preeminence, wherever we go. We go out into the world. We allow God to change us and then change one life at a time. So my challenge before you this morning is one minute, five minutes, set the alarm on your calendar, on your watch, on your phone, whatever your alarm is. I'm going to get up. I'm going to take these five minutes. I'm going to go hide in my car. I'm going to go sit in the garage. I'm going to go lock the bathroom door where no one can get me. Find time to be still before God. And allow God to shine into your life beyond you can even imagine. And I know Peter, James, and John, when they said, Oh, God's taking us up on the mountain. This is going to be fun. Maybe we'll get up there and we can look out over the, the valley and see some beautiful sights. They had no idea what God was going to do to them. And neither do I. And neither do you. Because when we're willing to be still before the Lord, God's going to do a miracle in your life. And you're going to be able to take that and bring it back to somebody else and say, Wow, here's what God's doing. So together, let's commit. We're going to spend time before God. It's not a program. It's not a duty. It's not something to do. It's where God wants us to be. And it's who God wants us to be. God's about being. And when we can be, then God's going to take us and we can do. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And then, Lord, for some reason, we want to run from the light. Speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, where we're falling short of seeking your face, of seeking your glory, of seeking your presence. Help us, Lord, to find time in our busy schedules, our craziness that we somehow pretend is life, to find time where we can say, Lord, I want to be still before you. I want to hear your still, small voice. as we come into your presence, that we hear those words that you love us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You're the anchor in the storm. That you're our strength when we are weak. That you're our ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, allow your glory to rest upon our souls as we find quiet time with you. 
May we find a place, Lord, to be still and know that you are God. And I thank you, Lord, that when we find that place, you will be the faithful God who strengthens us, who prepares us, that we can take your preeminence, the exalted, glorious God, with us away from that quiet place and again face our busy schedules. Lord, we love you. We thank you for continuing to teach us from your word. We thank you that wherever we do go, that you are there with us, that your glory shines around us. We leave this place this morning, Lord, back to the troubles, the trials. We will follow you wherever you lead us, wherever you take us. Because you are our God. And I continue to lift up to you, our friends and our family, and I, I know there's not one person here that couldn't name somebody that is sick with the coronavirus, struggling through it, recovering, even in bed this morning, some suffering, some in desperate need of a miracle. But I ask that you send your healing on their lives. Continue to give us wisdom in how we can share our love our concern for others and lift them up in their time of need. Continue to be a hedge of protection around us. Continue to guide us in the steps that we'll take. And I thank you for your presence in all of our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. God be with you. Have a glorious, a wonderful week. Happy Valentine's Day.